This is recording number 10824 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the 16th message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 5, 2009. This message is titled, What Has a Hold on You? Part 2. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Let's read it together. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Uh, Remember that uh, Paul the Apostle along with Silas, they're on their, Paul's on his second missionary journey. They've come to the city of Philippi. And uh, they are preaching the gospel in this city. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is with him on this journey. And that's why he he says, uh, as we went to prayer. Because Luke is uh, part of this event. And he says that there was a slave girl who was possessed. And remember last week we talked about the fact that that word possessed um, doesn't mean that her head was spinning around on her neck, that her eyes were rolling back in her head, that she was barking like a dog or foaming at the mouth or any of the odd things that people tend to think about when they think about that word possessed. In the original language um, from which uh, this English word possessed was translated, that word simply means held by, held by. This was a woman who was, in, in uh, ways that we cannot be completely certain about, held by a spirit of divination. And uh, I'll talk more about what divination is in a little bit. But a demon spirit had a grip on this woman's life. We cannot tell how deep, uh, how strong, how pervasive this grip was, but she was, in, she was held by a spirit of divination and used by her masters to earn money through fortune telling. But, <clears throat> as we see here, this girl, verse 17 says, followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. And then in verse 18, it talks about how Paul, uh, finally, after all these days of her announcing, um, and it wasn't what she was saying. Because, listen to what she was saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She was speaking the truth. It wasn't what she was saying. But it was that Paul, under the, the um, uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit, Receiving a gift of discerning of spirits was able to recognize the the um, the spirit that was that had this grip on this woman, and he addressed that spirit in verse eighteen. It says that he cast it out of her, broke in the name of Jesus, broke that hold on her, and she was free that very hour. In fact, if you went on and read, you'd see she became absolutely no use to her masters anymore because she didn't, she couldn't fortune tell. She couldn't do any of that stuff that they, that they were making money uh, on her with. And that got them pretty upset. We'll talk about that in a couple, a couple of weeks. But right now, I just want you to have this story, this imagery in your mind. 
And I talked with you last week about demonization. Demonization. That it is a spectrum that goes all the way from temptation to full possession. Temptation is something every one of us experiences. Uh, The devil and his minions, demon spirits, are always trying to present us with an illegitimate solution to legitimate needs. That's temptation. He's always, they're always trying to get us to embrace, to take in. Remember, temptation or sin is not uh, just doing something that God has said not to do. It's really embracing, welcoming something into your soul that will ruin you. But the temptation is, here is something that will solve your real problem. Only it's not a real solution. It's a counterfeit, bogus, illegitimate solution. That's temptation. Every one of us faces it. So demonization is all the way from that to possession where the person has lost their identity. They've lost who they are. At the very core of their being, they have been taken over by a demon spirit. But that's a, that's a broad spectrum and many gradations along the way. And so when we're talking about demonization today, we're not talking about only the, pro, uh, the possessed end of this spectrum, but, but many places along that way where people have found themselves to whatever degree held by demon spirits. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. We read these verses last week together uh, that says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And we talked about how that word place in the original, is, original language is topos. We get the word English word topography from that. And we talked at length last week about the human topography, the topography of your life, that you are are spirit, primarily you are a spirit being who has a soul clothed in a body. And Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, who were Christians, by the way, said, he's writing to the Christians, the church in Ephesus, And he says, don't give any territory, don't give any topography, don't give any geography of your life to the adversary, to the devil. And that's pretty much all the review that I'm going to be able to do today. So then let's move on and talk again, or not again, but more specifically about the pathology of spiritual bondage. You are a spirit. And that part of you is made for God consciousness. That's your eternal self. You have a soul that, that was made for self-consciousness or self-awareness. It's your intellect, emotions, personality, and will. And you are clothed with a body designed for world consciousness. It is comprised of your physical systems, appearance, and uh, your senses. Temptation as I've already said, is a counterfeit solution to a legitimate need which is based on a lie about God. Remember the very first temptation? The serpent speaking to Eve in the garden and he is uh, trying to entice her 
to eat of the fruit that God has told, uh, told Adam and Eve not to partake of, saying, when you, if you do, you'll die. But uh, Eve, in recounting this to the serpent, he says, God didn't say that. Embedded in every temptation that comes your way, dear one, is a lie about God. Think about that for a minute. Temptation comes, you know, cheat on your wife. Cheat on your wife. I, I'm pausing here in front of Eric specifically. Because <laughs> no, no, he won't be here next week. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> she, hasn't been, she hasn't been what she needs, you need for her to be to you. Go ahead. Cheat on your wife. It'll solve this problem that you think you have. And by the way... God isn't helping you with this. There's a lie about God embedded in every temptation. It's a lie about God in every temptation. And that's what gives it power. If the devil can convince you that God has forsaken you, that he is not interested in you, that he didn't really mean what you thought he meant when you read that place in the Bible that says don't commit adultery. If the devil can um, twist things around to deceive you about God, that temptation, that illegitimate offer of a solution to a legitimate need that you have or sense has much more power and potency to it. But at this point, the offer of a temptation to you is not sin. It's what happens next. If instead of biting on this bait, you say, no, I don't believe that about God. I, don't believe, I believe that God does love me, that he has provided for my needs, that he has and is the solution to everything that I long for and everything I need. I'm not going to bite this. If you turn it away at that point, there is no sin. But let's be, let's be uh, honest about the fact that all of us face temptation. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. If, however, I do bite, it's involving a choice that I make. And remember, your soul is that part of you that uh, is um, your decision-making center, your intellect, emotions, personality, and will. And when you make a choice to believe that lie... You're embracing something. You're embracing an offer, welcoming something into your life that has devastating consequences. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 describe this so well. We read it last week, but I'm going to read it again. It says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away uh, by his own desires and enticed. And those desires might be um, f- uh, physical. They might be emotional. But we are drawn away when we are, are by our own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived. Penetration has happened. This is the, the symbol, symbolism here is of... of um, uh, intercourse and conception and uh, the, the 
creation of an embryo and the birth of, of, a, of a child. It's not by accident. God is using this because it's so graphic. Penetration has happened. Something has been allowed in. And it says that uh, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So th- when you embrace uh, temptation, when you welcome it into your life and you don't uh, ruthlessly abort. I, I cannot say that strongly enough. When you don't ruthlessly abort an embryo is formed. Something gets birthed in you. And that something is bondage. And again, it can be, uh, it's anywhere along that spectrum from temptation to possession, but demonization, bondage, we use those words to describe that place in between on that spectrum of demonization. Uh, I'm, excuse me, uh, a bondage or oppression. We use those terms to describe that space on the spectrum. Um, it's, it is serious stuff. Because James 4, uh, 1, 14 through 15 tells us that the devil through that gains a foothold, a beachhead in my life. A, a base camp from which he can launch attacks on my spirit. And that's what, Paul, that's what uh, James means when he says, if you leave this sucker alone, let it grow into everything that the devil wants it to be, it will uh, eat away at your life. Now, I do not believe that a believer, a Christian, can be, uh, uh, that their spirit can be captured and they can be taken uh, and become possessed. I do not believe that. So let's just get on the record with that. I do believe, however, that... If this process is left to continue to its full, uh, full blossom, that there can be such an assault on my spirit over time that I could, be, I could become, even as a believer in Christ, I could become so deceived and my spiritual life so eroded that I actually could come to the place because I have seen this, thank God, rarely, but I, not in my own life, but I, <laughs> thank God. But I've seen it in other people, so eroded and so deceived that they have chosen to turn their back on God. Now then, it's another story. When you came to Christ, you did not forfeit your free will. And the same free will that you exercised to choose to become a follower of Christ if you got to the place where you were so deceived, so uh, 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 twisted around backwards by a spirit of a demon spirit, you could come to a place where you renounce that by the same will you cho- you choose no longer to be a follower of Christ. Then, I believe you are open to possession. So this is a lousy thing. I hate this, but it's true. It's true. And we need to be careful and mindful of it. And I want... So this is the pathology of bondage. What I, what I really want to get to is the pathology of freedom. And that's what I told you we'd be concentrating on. And here we go. Because bondage can be broken. And uh, that, that hold on your life can be expelled. 
I want to talk to you about the symptoms. We did this briefly last week, but when you have, what is it that you can, can take notice of in your life if, uh, to gauge whether a spirit has a hold on you? One of the things we talked about was the broken record or scratched record syndrome, where it just seems like you repeat the same issue over, you keep confronting the same issue over and over and over in your life. You move from one marriage to the next marriage to the next marriage to the next relationship, and it's always everybody else's fault. Huh? You're the common denominator. The, same, well, the record is just broken. It just it keeps going. And you, you recognize this. And once you face that, you're already a long way down the road towards deliverance, towards freedom. Another one of the symptoms is you feel stuck. You just can't move forward with your life. I, I, I will hear that. As soon as I hear that word, people will come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I just feel stuck. They don't really, they don't know all about this. But when I hear that word, I know. <laughs> I know what we're dealing with. You're just stuck. Another symptom is that you're unable to resist temptation. You lose uh, the capacity to say no. Because something has a hold on you. It jerks, you go. When you start to find yourself losing the battle of temptation consistently, take note of that. Um, I want to talk to you about some of the uh, spirits. Now listen, I registered a domain name the other day. Do you know what that is? You know, www.randybolt.com. I didn't register that one. Uh, I'm going to though, so nobody beat me to the punch, Okay. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you go and you, there are domain name registrars because nobody can have the same domain. No uh, institution, no individual can have the same domain name, right? There is no demon name registration out there. There's nobody, you know, uh, keeping a list of or a record of the names of demons, but if you read through the Bible, there are a number of times when the Bible says a spirit of blank. And there's a whole list of these spirits that are named in the Bible. But it's not, I don't think it, some people get really tied up in this whole thing about, I got to know the name of this spirit. And, uh, you know, it's just really inconsequential, except for any focus, any spotlight that it brings onto that spirit. That's a good thing. So I'm going to talk to you about some, just a, this is a, a small list of some of those spirits, demon spirits that are named in the Bible, and then some that come out of my, my own experience in dealing with and ministering to people. And, and it's, you know, again, it's just a way of describing how that spirit uh, functions. Remember Jesus when he was confronted with the, the demoniac at, at the, in the um, ten cities, the gathering demoniac. He said, what's your name? He says, Legion. Why? Because there's a bunch of them. Okay, so it's not really a matter of we got to get these names just right. But it does help us to kind of focus on the outcomes and how things work. Uh, so let me back up. Abandonment. Abandonment. Recently, I was able to minister to a young man who um, was all those things, broken record, stuck, unable to uh, fight off temptation, captivated in many ways, held by a demon spirit. Uh, 
I didn't know how to think about it, how to focus in on it. I just knew that we needed to help this kid. And so we went to prayer for him, found out that he had been, uh, he had a horrible, horrible childhood. His family was totally and completely broken and he suffered much abuse from his father. And every other um, significant person, and adult in his life had abandoned him. And so I said to him, I said, look, I believe, whether it's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or not, I believe you are being held by a spirit of abandonment that will not let you trust anybody, particularly God. And I, without telling you the whole story, that enabled us to be able to minister to him and set, see him set free from that abandonment. Witchcraft. Witchcraft, we always think of a pointy hat, long nose, you know, and uh, broom, you know, the Bible, uh, you can read about witchcraft in the Bible. It's a terrible no-no because witchcraft is you, make, you, you create your own future. You seek to create your, your own future. Take a little of this, a little of that, a little of the other thing. I'm going to make my own future, right? It may sound um, even responsible. I'll take some of my, um, you know, my initiative, some of my experience. I'll take some of this, some of that. And I'll create my future. No. It's a bogus offer. It's a counterfeit offer to fulfillment. Don't bite. You have a God in heaven who knows you. Knows how you were made. And he wants to craft and guide you in the future that he intended for you. Witchcraft is a, not a good thing. Um, let's see, divination. Okay, let's come back to that. Divination, I talked to you about quite a bit about this last week. It is a preoccupation, an ungodly preoccupation with the future. I told you a story about a friend of mine a uh, little bit last week who got caught up and got, became held by a spirit of divination. Let me, let me give you a little bit more uh, about that because I think it might help some of you relate to what this is. This was a woman who... Uh, found herself in a career path where uh, her success, the way she made her money, was on commission sales. And so she got into an environment that's all about forward-looking, all about looking in the future. You are successful if you can plan far enough ahead. Your payoff is always somewhere in the future. There's nothing particularly wrong with that unless... You start to bite on the temptation that's offered to you. Ah, I could help you get a jump on this. I could show you things. And you can go to seminars and all kinds of stuff where they teach you how to, how to you know, project yourself out there. Well, it became a serious issue for her, as you might see. In fact, as, as this uh, began to be, um, she began to become aware of how she was being held by this spirit, she confided to me, she said, you know what? And even recently, she's been a you know, Christian for a long time. She said, even recently, I started kind of nosing around the horoscope section of the newspaper and stuff like that. I didn't realize the hold of this thing deepening in my life. But God, you know, broke that. Thank God. Self-pity. Another friend of mine uh, was having um, serious trouble with a sexual temptation and perversion serious and he was doing everything 
he, he was trying to do everything right. He's a Christian and he was, he was praying and he was you know, trying to resist temptation but with little effect. He was going to, self, um, or to 12-step groups and things like that, just trying to do everything he could to, to resist this thing and get it, but he was having little success. I asked the Lord to help me to be able to help him. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, the root of this thing is not a spirit of sexual immorality. It's a spirit of self-pity. And I thought, huh? But we began to talk, to talk this through and I found out that as a young man, he had been ridiculed by his parents. A very young child, ridiculed by his parents. And that wound needed healing. And there was an offer. I mean, he didn't, he, he was raised in a Christian environment. But instead of coming to the Lord with his wound, there was an offer. Hey, you could wrap yourself up in self-pity. It'll feel so comfortable. He bought that and bit the bait. And you know what happens then? If you, the stronger that hold of self-pity gets on you, the more you're able to excuse almost any behavior because you think, oh, well, I deserve this. And you can, you can pretty much uh, write yourself a, a blank check for anything you want to do because, well, you know what they did to me? Self-pity. When God um, broke that, he broke the sexual thing too. Um, self-protection. Another friend of mine, a woman, um, always seemed to be just oh, under a load. Just, every, just her countenance was always downcast and she was always tired. And, just, and I, you know, we prayed and asked God, what's going on here? And it turned out that you know, as a young child, she had been uh, abused uh, in a different way, sexually abused. And um, again, a Christian environment, could have brought that woundedness to the Lord, did not. Instead, bought this, this bogus offer. You could take charge. They didn't protect you. The people who could have and should have, God could have, he didn't. Here, you can become your own protection. And boy, that launched her on a lifetime of always making sure that she, you know, had everything under control that she knew what to do and you know because but the thing is it becomes very a burden we were not meant to be our own protectors we were not designed that way we were designed for God to be our shelter and strength and when we take anytime we take on a role that only he uh, can can um, uh, properly administer we will ru- be ruined and that's what was happening to her but thank God there's been deliverance there. I'm going to have to go quickly here. Um, shame, shame. Uh, depression. You'd think, well, well, who would want that? But, you know, there are, it's, it's so common that, the, that it doesn't, you know, it's like the devil says, well, here, let me, let me make you sad all the time. Nobody would buy that. <laughs> but that what it is is, um, you know, if you take this, you won't have the ups and the downs. It'll kind of even life out. Uh, okay. And we buy that thing. 
And I know there are components to depression, you know, uh, um, chemical components. There's, I, know there's, I know all that. But there's also a spiritual component to depression. And we can't, um, we can't afford to uh, misunderstand that or, or to neglect it. I talked to you last week about my issue of control. There's pride. Um, there's fear. Um, there's also infirmity. Now, not all sickness is the result of some demon activity, but many times it is. And here's what happens. Infirmity becomes a person's identity. And they come to think of themselves uh, through the lens of whatever sickness or disease or malady they have. That's who they are. And that's exactly the devil's point. That's what exactly what he's trying to do. Because then they will live at a level far beneath what God intended for them to live. Now I wish I could spend more time on that, but I don't have it. I want to talk to you about familiar spirits. The Bible uses this terminology, familiar spirits, in a number of places. What happens, part of the reason that uh, many of us don't even recognize this stuff is going on is because these spirits have become like family. They're so, we're so associated with them that pretty soon we just come to think, well, that's just me. That's just how I am. And that's exactly what the devil wants to have happen because then you, you don't do anything about it. You leave them alone. It's just, it's just me. The Lord wants to expose familiar spirits. So let's talk about breaking the hold. And I want to just say at the, front, uh, at the beginning here that this is about deliverance, not a formula. Deliverance meaning this is an activity of God. This is something God must do. And every time, he, I've seen this over and over and over again. Every time God approaches a person who has been held by some demon spirit to bring freedom and deliverance to them, it's always unique. Follow Jesus. Read the Gospels and watch the way that he dealt with people who were under the influence, demonized, under the uh, hand of demon spirits. Every single time it's different. Because people are different. The circumstances are different. There is no formulaic approach to this. Um, in fact, remember Jesus, he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and his disciples had been trying to minister to a young man who was bound by demon spirits and they were unsuccessful and they said to Jesus, well, because after Jesus cast out the devil, they said, well, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said, well, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. And and you want to say, well, what kind? <laughs> and Jesus doesn't give us that information because every situation, every circumstance is different and calls for a different approach. And so it's not a formula. Remember the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. These were um, some Jewish exorcists. <laughs> and they heard about the success that the Apostle Paul and others were having in declaring the name of Jesus over people who were bound by demon spirits. And so they said, well, hey, we'll do that. So they started trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the demons spoke back to them and said, Hey, Jesus we know. Paul we know. You we don't know. And they tore those guys up. The demons jumped on them. And, you know, uh, it was not a, not a good scene at all. There's no formula to this. But these things that I'm going to talk to you about are commonalities. All right? 
So the first step towards being free from whatever whole, ever, whatever demon uh, activity has affected your life to whatever degree is conviction, conviction. And this is something that's the Holy Spirit's job. John 16, 8 says this clearly. The Holy Spirit begins to shine a light on what ails you. And that can come in the form of discerning of spirits. That's a spiritual gift. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 tells us. And I gave you some examples already this morning about how the Lord gave information about what was troubling a person that we had no other way of knowing. But God wants to set people free. And so he will give the, the information that's needed. Uh, as the Holy Spirit brings con- uh, conviction and begins to shine his light on these areas of bondage in our life, one of the things we need to be careful of in this whole uh, uh, process of conviction is to make sure that we follow the trail all the way to the root. All the way. A lot of times we will um, just kind of deal with surface stuff. About the friend I told you earlier, I could have, and I did. I spent hours and hours with him trying to deal with the sexual perversion. It wasn't until we let the Lord, by his spirit, take us all the way down to the root that we could cut it off there. Then there's confession. Confession. The Holy Spirit does conviction. Confession is my part. And confession needs to include my... Confession is simply getting on the same page with God, agreeing with God about what's true. And I need to confess the wrong I've done in response to the wrong done to me. This is a point that many people miss. Because a lot of these bondages, a lot of these um, holes that end up getting grip on people are the result of wounds that have come to them through other people. They were set up for the temptation by woundedness that have come to them from other people. And so our tendency is to say, well, it was their fault. But dear one, when wrong has been done to a person, there's, there is always a wrong response that comes from us. Or nearly always. I'll, I'll grant you that. Nearly always. Someone does wrong to me and I will, I'll harden my heart towards them and unforgiveness. I'll do a whole number of different things that are not godly and I need to repent of that. I cannot repent for them, but I can repent for me. I can confess that I have, be, I have behaved wrongly towards them and that is essential to, to getting free. Confession also will include often releasing offenders in, un, in, in forgiveness. That you don't continue to hold them in bitterness and unforgiveness. Get that out of your soul. We need to confess the lie we've believed. God, I, believe, I believed that you didn't care about me. I believed I had to look elsewhere for help. I confess my sin and believing a lie about you. And then, thank God, we have forgiveness that's available to us. First John 1 John 1.9 says that 
when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then there is repentance. Now, repentance, we often think of, we get confession and repentance mixed up. And I, in fact, in just a minute ago, I found myself using those words interchangeably. And they're different. Confession is getting on the same page with God, getting into agreement with God about what's true about me. Repentance is choosing to go a different way, choosing to walk a different way. Repentance involves embracing the truth about God. I've believed a lie about you, God. I choose to believe the truth about you. You do love me. You have not abandoned me. You can help me. Those kinds of things. I believe the truth about God. Embrace the truth about God. Renounce every connection to the devil. I, I've told you this story before, but, and I'm, I'm already late, but I'm going to tell you this one really quickly. Again, because it, it, it illustrates this. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago now. My son and some friends came down to visit us from Oregon. And uh, I was watching a movie with them. Uh, it, was, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was... PG-13 rated, something like that. I didn't expect any, anything um, wild or crazy out of it. But it turned out there were some very, a couple of very sexually charged scenes in that movie. And, when, and I've, I've come to be very uh, proactive about averting my attention uh, when, I, when I'm presented with that kind of temptation. I w- you know, I've, I've just, the cost is too great. I cannot pay that price. And so I walk out of movies. I, I, I don't look at billboards. There's lots of things I do to just avoid all of that. Well, I'm sitting here with my, my son and his friends, and they're kind of ho-hum, sort of like, oh, oh well. I'm, and I'm, oh, okay, well, it can't be too bad. So I, I watch it. It's when you take that second look, guys and gals. You know, that's a choice you're making, and you're welcoming something into your life. So anyway, all said and done, movie's over. Sue had already gone to bed before we watched the movie. I'm going upstairs to, to join her. And she's, so this has been a couple hours. She's, she's uh, asleep. I get to the bottom of the stairs, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, Randy, you're taking that woman to bed with you. And I, I was totally busted. Now, what I needed to do right then was not anything less than what I did, which was go into another room and start crying out to God. God, forgive me. I said, God, forgive me. I renounce every connection with this spirit. I abort this process now in the name of Jesus. I will not tolerate or accommodate this spirit in any fashion. I rebuke you, spirit of of, uh, sexual temptation. I rebuke you, spirit of immorality, in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know if my son and his friends heard me. I tried... I, I think I might have stuck a pillow in my face or something. I tried to, you know, but it, I didn't care because it was, I could not afford that. So renounce every connection to the devil. Um, invoke the name of Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Luke ten seventeen says that it's in the name of Jesus that that strongholds, uh, bondage is broken. Now, it's not an incantation. I see people that get this. It's like, it's like some sort of magic word or magic formula. In the name of Jesus. As though the vibrato of the voice or the, the strength of the sound of it. Or, you know, that there's something 
It's not about that at all. When the Bible talks about us having authority in the name of Jesus to cast out devils, it simply means that I have nothing to offer myself. No demon is afraid of me. But every demon is afraid of Jesus. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We read last week where it says that he has triumphed over every adversary and made an open show of them, made a spectacle of them. He, he has triumphed over our adversary and so it's in his authority. When I come to, uh, any, to address any form of bondage and do it in the name of Jesus, I, I am victorious because of him. Then be filled with the Spirit. Jesus told about, uh, he told a parable about a guy who had been, you know, tormented by, by demon spirits. The bondage of those spirits got broken. And those spirits were just kind of wandering around, you know, looking for someone else to harass. While he, while the man has been cleansed and cleaned, the spirit kind of comes back around and says, hey, this guy's uh, all cleaned up now. And so they all come back in force because the guy did not fill himself up with the Spirit of God. So be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us that. Be, be being filled with the Spirit. Be vigilant. 1 Peter 5.8 uh, to, to, tells us to be vigilant because we have an adversary who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he, he may devour. So be on your toes. And resist temptation. We have this marvelous promise in James chapter 4 verse 7 that says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Alright, I'm finished. But I'm also going to ask you as you stand to your feet now to join with me in declaring John chapter 8 verse 36. On the count of three. And let's declare it with strength and conviction. Because there, this is a powerful truth. One, two, three. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 